Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Amy Liu, the founder and CEO of clean color brand Tower 28. Hi, Amy. Hi, Priya. How are you? I'm so excited to be here with you. I know, Amy. I'm really excited, too, because I feel like it was just yesterday you were in our office by One World Trade, um, and you were telling me your story, and it was so so compelling. So it's exciting that you're here with us today because you launched right before the pandemic started. I sure did. (laughs) So Amy, before we kind of get to your your founder story, I would love to hear a little bit about your background because, you know, one thing you said to me the other day is that you were very used to kind of being behind the scenes, being the number two or number three at the various beauty companies that you worked at. And I'm wondering like how that all started, how you got into this crazy, wild beauty world? Well, I think to start my, um, so my dad, my mom and dad immigrated from Taiwan to the United States and my dad was an entrepreneur. And I think I really watched him in pursuit of the American dream, really see what it was like to be an entrepreneur. And I really wanted that for myself. So from a young age, I really always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I, you know, I went to business school and I, um, kind of concentrated in entrepreneurship as well. So I, and pretty risk averse as a person. And I decided that the right thing to do for me was to really learn on someone else's time. And that's exactly what I did. So I sought out founder-based brands here in Los Angeles and prestige ones, color, skincare. So I worked at Kate Somerville, uh, Smashbox Cosmetics, Josie Marin. Um, and really all the companies I went to went from bigger company to smaller company and my role kept getting bigger. And the hope there was really that I, I just wanted to see what it was like to have a seat at the table and really see what it was like to be a founder. And I think it's so important to do that because the more, the closer you can get to something, the more it demystifies it. And it became to make the leap felt a little bit easier because I saw it up close and personal. Tell me a little bit about your time at Kate Somerville and Josie Marin specifically, because those are both very big founder-based brands. Their names were attached to those brands and you were very close in building those brands for those women. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to be the head of marketing at both of those places. Um, So I did, like you said, have a very close um, relationship with both of them and saw what it was like to be a founder, both um, the, the good parts of it and the challenging ones. And I think part of that is the reason why I decided not to name the company Amy Lou Cosmetics. I think it's really hard to be um, founder facing in that way and have your name on a product. And the thing that I did learn from that was that I wanted to be a founder. I could understand what was entailed, but at the same time, I, I didn't want to be so forward facing as a founder. So tell me a little bit about when you did kind of decide this is what you were going to do. One of the things that I think has struck me so much about Tower 28 is one, it's clean color cosmetics, which is, you know, a, still a rarity in this in this market. And two, you know, you weren't just talking about clean. You know, your your ethos is about sensitivity and skin sensitivity, which has become very important in in COVID land and COVID living. Yeah. So tell me about how you kind of layered that in together. So I think to speak about the sensitivity part, I really have to go back to my my own personal story. So I've had, like you said, I've worked in the beauty industry for a long time now, but as a backdrop to all of that, I've also had eczema my entire adult life. And for me, I've had chronic eczema where um, I would wake up every day and really not know what my skin was going to be like. So it presented itself on 
my hands, on my face, um, behind my, my knees. Um, and I could wear, you know, I went for periods of time, not wearing only wearing like jeans and long skirts. I wouldn't wear anything that was shorter because people would stop me and ask me if something was wrong with me. Um, and I became really insecure about it, to be honest with you. Um, in addition to that, working in the beauty industry made it feel even more complex because when your whole job is to sell aspiration, you can kind of feel like a fraud when you don't have, you know, you're selling the latest and greatest skin perfecting lotions and potions, but your own skin is so um, erratic and hard to control that it feels like, you know, it's like when you go see a hairstylist and they have like a, a bad haircut, you're like, wait, why are you telling me about this? But I was the person who was going to Sephora and meeting with them and, and pitching the next season's products. And I just really felt insecure about the way my own skin looked, which is why I decided I wanted to go into makeup and not skincare because I really felt this want to cover it up um, and put makeup on, even though I was also tasked with the, the concern that I felt like it wasn't very good for my skin. I was worried that putting makeup on was making my skin worse. Um, I actually, I remember hearing a statistic about how 60% of what you put on your skin goes into your bloodstream. And this was a, you know, a cornerstone statistic that people talked a lot about when they talked about clean beauty. Um, and I thought, well, if that's for normal skin, what happens to my skin when I have like this chronic eczema where my skin barriers literally open? Am I just getting everything into my skin? And so I tried to make the switch to clean beauty, but a lot of clean beauty felt, um, like it was actually pretty hard on my sensitive skin because there are essential oils and plant botanicals in it. So in the end, what I was really looking for was products that were both clean and safe for sensitive skin, but neither of them were perfect for me because clean wasn't uh, necessarily safe for sensitive skin. And when I looked at products that were safe for sensitive skin, a lot of those were not clean and or pretty medicinal or like dermatologist in their approach. And I wanted something that was more more fun and cool. So really that's what Tower 28 is. It's the, um, we say it's a clean product designed for sensitive skin, made for all. All of our products are $28 and under, and we're the only makeup brand that is 100% compliant with the um, National Eczema Association seal of approval guidelines. Amy, tell me if retailers understood the premise when you were first going to market, because nowadays I hear that, you know, places like Sephora and Ulta are only looking for clean brands or only looking for the specific niche. And, you know, yours was a little bit more complicated. They were clean, but it also had the sensitivity element. They were also much um, lower price. These products were much lower price, which ends up being a boon to you. But I'm wondering what the reaction first was. I mean, I will give uh, credit to my retailers. So we are sold at Credo, Revolve, and at Sephora online and in stores um, throughout U.S. and Canada. And all of our retailers got it immediately. I mean, I think they really saw not only the white space, but also the authenticity behind the brand and my own founder story. Um, and they've been incredibly supportive. So um, it's interesting that you're you're talking about the clean aspect of it because that's actually something that we as a brand don't talk about that much only because I feel like it's table stakes to some degree. Um, and because the sensitive skin part of it to me is more of a unique positioning and we work so hard to maintain it and to be true to it that it's something that I actually spend a lot more of my time 
talking about. So we are really proud to be at Credo um, and clean at Sephora. We're on the multi-branded end cap. Um, but, but that is really the, I think that is the credibility around clean that we, we really strive for. When you first started, you know, approaching retailers and thinking about your strategy, you know, that was in 2019, mm-hmm. pre-pandemic. And I know that Sephora stores was a very big piece of that. Sephora, obviously, for so many brands, yeah. is so important to that. And you were planning on going into Sephora and Kohl's shop and shops and all we of are. that. So tell me, you know, back then, what happened when the pandemic first hit? I mean, obviously, that was such a huge uh shock to all of us. Um, at the time, the goal was really to um, work on content, education, awareness. And I think that really hasn't changed. It's just the medium has changed a little bit. So um, the plan initially when we were going in all store was was going to be, you know, gratis education, going out. To st- I was going to travel a lot and go to stores to do more training, um, events, that type of a thing, activations. So the the way we're doing it is different, but I think the the goal is really the same. And if anything, I think in some ways it's been great for small brands like ours because it's really leveled the playing field. When you are in a store environment with big brands, big brands can send in tons of gratis. They can send in retail sales support, um, and you know they can wrap buses in their in their logo. Those are things that small brands can't do. But when we're all speaking in a digital environment, then we can kind of compete a little bit more. Um, And I think that's what we did. So we did a combination of things. We did everything from, um, you know, I did trainings. I still do trainings, but I did them via Zoom. Um, We still sent out gratis. Um, We worked with influencers. We did events on Zoom, which I think now that's been a little more fatigued. Um, and then in general, I think there's a lot of social listening that has to happen. So for for us, one of our um, taglines is it's okay to be sensitive. And there's obviously a double entendre there that I think is really relevant in this time of pandemic because we are all so much more sensitive being at home and everyone's experiencing it in a different way. Um, so we really tried to pivot our messaging to to not be tone deaf and to really speak to the time that we were in, whether it was through the it's okay to be sensitive thing or um, even thinking about the way that people are using our products and are interacting with them. So for instance, SOS, our our best selling, our only skincare product and our best selling product, um, I started noticing in the product reviews that people were talking about how great it was for mask me. And so honestly, that came from looking at people's product reviews. And so then we did a couple of things. We we gifted it to essential workers because we felt that was an important thing to do. But then in addition to that, we started speaking to it for Maskne and the sales of that product have literally tripled from pre-COVID. Would you say that that sensitivity piece, you know, was to your advantage? Because I would say that like now the clean color space is getting a little bit more saturated. It's nowhere near. For sure you know, where skincare is, but, you know, it is that point of differentiation. I think any time you can have a point of difference, it makes, um, it helps the consumer understand why they should pick you. And I think consumers nowadays are so savvy and so smart, and they are really the ones in the driver's seat that you have to offer them everything. So not only does it have to be clean and beautiful and Instagrammable, the products really have to work. The ingredients have to live up to the product philosophy that you're saying it is. Um, and I, 
I do think that the fact that now with COVID, people are even more interested in in health and wellness and just better for you, um, that they're looking into their ingredients. And the fact that we've been doing this the whole time and making our products with this philosophy and this ethos has really helped us. Amy, tell me a little bit about the price piece of things, because I would argue that, you know, Tower 28 is really differentiated because you are offering accessibility and a point of difference in this larger, you know, prestige driven landscape. Yeah. So that was actually the goal from the very beginning. So Tower 28 is actually named after a real lifeguard tower here in Santa Monica at the intersection of Venice. And the idea there was, I really wanted the products to be accessible to a wider range of people. And I look at the beach as this place where everybody gets to enjoy a healthy lifestyle. So all of our products are actually $28 and under. And that was really intentional. It was the idea that when you walk into a Sephora, I wanted it to be the entry price point. Um, And in general, to compete with like the Sephora collections of the world and the glossiers of the world, because I felt like it was a product I wanted young people to be able to have, um, people who didn't have as much high, highly disposable income, um, and for it to be diverse too. Would you say that, you know, maybe in the skincare space, we were seeing a little bit more of that traction, you know, with like the Deciums or the Inky lists of the world, and that had just not arrived in color, really? Yeah, definitely. I think that if you look at um, clean beauty, especially at that time, there's been more entrants recently that have been a little bit more accessibly priced. Um, But at the time, it really was very uh, expensive and exclusive. And I think the conversation around clean color is the same one um, that is around food. Like, why can't, why why isn't it more accessible? Why should only um, healthy food be expensive? I think it's the same for for makeup. And that's really driven so much of your growth at Sephora, right, Amy? I mean, I don't know what you can tell me, but from what I've heard, you know, you're an your top 10 brand, you know, especially in the clean color space, certain products are really flying off the shelves. Yeah, we're actually a number seven brand um, and and apparently very close to being number six, um, which is really exciting. And there's obviously some really big brands there. So it's exciting to be like the, the, the indie brand in there. Um, what else is exciting is that they recently told us that we, um, are penetrating 1% of world, which means that 1% of all Sephora customers are buying Tower 28, which is actually a feat that a lot of big, a lot of brands never get to. And that is partly because of the fact that our price point is low, right? So then a lot of people can have the ability to try our products. And repeat, right? Which is and what repeat. you've also, which you found as well. Yeah, definitely. And we have different products that, uh, like, for instance, SOS, we've found that has a re- is a really sticky product for us. So if the person tries SOS about, at least what we can tell from our own website is that 50% of the people who try SOS come back and buy another bottle of it. Um, I'm sure that number is very different for like a, a lip jelly or something like that, which is a $14 price point and people are a little more fickle, but they'll, a lot of people come in to buy that product and buy lots of shades too, just because it's such an easy price point and it does just feel so good. So it's nice to have kind of products at both sides of the spectrum. Tell me a little bit about what you think is happening within the larger color space? Because, you know, one thing Allison at Sephora had mentioned to me the other day was that clean color has not seen a downturn the way that, you know, makeup traditionally has for the last two years. So what do you think that's about? I think people, makeup is a 
ritualistic, right? So they obviously talk about the lipstick effect. And I think, you know, even for me, right, I put on makeup every day to start my day because it makes me feel like there's a difference between um, starting my day and not. And it makes me happy. I And then to use products that are clean, I think is just, again, it's table stakes. It's people want products that are good for them. And I think they're demanding it. So I'm not surprised that clean hasn't seen a downturn. And I know um, even just looking at our, our particular sales, we've definitely seen huge growth over the last year. And do you think that also is attributed to the way that we're living now? You know, maybe you're not wearing a full face, but, you know, sure. you're putting a little bit of blush on or a little bit of lipstick if you're not wearing a mask. Yeah, for sure. That and we're also on Zoom. So irrespective of um, and you're still looking at yourself, too. Right. So you it, these are the things I think there's a lot of self-care that is now synonymous with putting on makeup and skincare, where even if no one's looking at you, but you're looking at yourself and this is something you want to do for yourself and you enjoy that you should. One of the things that's really struck me about your background and you know your story is that you took on very limited funding at the very beginning. It was very much driven by friends and family and you've been very purposeful and slow with growth. So when the rest, when you think about the rest of the year, you know, how does that parlay, how does that match to products, you know, that funding to products? And is this something that you're interested in growing as you're hoping to grow the assortment? Yeah, definitely. So I have not taken any institutional funding. Like you mentioned, I have raised only friends and family. I've done it twice. Um, I think it's been so motivational for me to raise money from people who are, um, you know, not only my friends, but people I vacation with and go to dinner with in a non COVID world, at least. Um, and in addition to that, I think I, I would raise money if I felt like it was the right thing to do for the business. I've been, I'm really grateful for the fact that with the help of our retailers like Sephora and Credo and Revolve, that we've been able to kind of get into this point of escape velocity where we have enough cash flow that we can, um, we, we're, we're not we're able to fuel our own growth, whether that is buying more inventory um, and keeping up with things, creating content, paying people, all of those things. So uh, we are working on some new product launches and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so more, more there for later. Tell me a little bit about being so forward facing now, because I think one of the things that you mentioned was that, you know, digital has leveled the playing field and you have this platform now and people are wanting to know who you are and want you to be on Instagram lives and on clubhouses and X, Y, Z. So, I mean, how, how has that been for you personally and professionally? It's such an interesting question because I think from a personal standpoint, I am fairly extroverted, but at the same time, publicly, I'm, I'm really private. So I've never been somebody who has, uh, certainly not on Instagram or any type of social media posted very much. Um, and so all of that is pretty foreign to me. And I think that the thing that has really brought it out for me and has made it important to me has been all the racial injustice that we've seen in the last year. So I think the first time I really started being more public was last year when um, Black Lives Matter happened and we responded with starting Clean Beauty Summer School, which I was so happy that you were a part of Priya. So thank you. Um, and that was really a program around like mentorship, access and education for targeted at 
black owned beauty founders. Um, Stop Asian Hate has been another moment that has been very personal to me in obvious ways, but also something that has made me more founder forward, as you as you said. Um, it's it's hard for me in the sense that I'm not as uh, I'm not used to it, but at the same time, it's it's really easy because it's important to me and it's part of my value system, my teams, um, etc. And so it makes. It, it makes me happy that there is something that I can do as part of, uh, as someone who now does have a platform and I think it's the right thing to do. So for instance, with Stop Asian Hate, we um, very early in it, we said that we were going to donate a hundred percent of sales from um, our website for one day. And I was, I was really shocked that we ended up donating almost $25,000 in one day, which for a small brand like ours is a lot. Um, so it's it's been both hard and, and easy, I would say. <laughs> you know, one thing that we talked about last week with Robin Sai from VMG was just the same idea about when it is personal, you know, you recognize your platform all the much more. And I'm wondering for you, especially in this moment, you know, with, with Stop Asian Hate, it is so deeply personal. Um, how do you feel about the larger beauty industry's response to this and how you can maybe lead by example here because maybe that's what people want. Yeah, definitely. I I actually feel like the people that I know, so I've worked in the beauty industry for a long time and I'm grateful to have friends in a lot of different companies as well as um, our retail partners, my own team, people like yourself. And I actually feel like you know, they say, they have that saying of, um, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are. And at least the people that I feel like I talk to the most are really all on the same page. And it's made me so proud to be part of the beauty industry. Um, I've also seen, you know, community come together in a bigger way. So whether it is, um, you know, other AAPI people coming together and kind of getting to know each other a little bit more, um, but, I really feel like whether, you know, I put together Clean Beauty Summer School within like two weeks. And part of the reason that happened was because everybody I reached out to, yourself included, said yes immediately. So I guess to answer your question, I feel like the the partners that I know are really um, doing everything they can, whether it's Sephora with Sephora Accelerate. Um, I know they're doing a ton of um, shopping bias training as well, um, which they've they've reached out to me and and I'm being included in as well. So I, I think that everyone's doing the best they can. Would you say that, you know, this is a different sort of experience than you've had in beauty traditionally, you know, you know, maybe five years ago or 10 years ago, because people talk about the collaboration, like this is something, you know, out of, you know, out of a science fiction movie. It's like something that people haven't seen before. I, I actually, I, I love it. I remember working at, um, so I, I did an internship at L'Oreal and I remember every time you went inside of the, the elevator, you had to like cover whatever your product was because you, even though we were all within the same company, people couldn't know what you were working on. And there was just a lot of, um, you had to be really secretive and people were competitive with each other, even within the same company. That's incredible. And now I feel like it's, it's so different and I'm so grateful for it. I feel like brands are much more collaborative with each other. There is much more of this feeling of, um, you know, that 
there's enough for everybody and there's a different, there are different customers for, for everyone. And so that we should all kind of just work together. And I do think that's different. And I, the comp, the really, it's such a different beauty industry than it was, you know, 17 years ago when I started. Amy, as you chart out like the next year in terms of how you want to grow beyond product, I know that, you know, staffing your team is something that is very top of mind. Tell me what is happening there, because I think people would be surprised to know how small you are. So I've spent a lot more of my time um, as an employee than I have as a founder. So I really understand what it's like to be um, part of a team and to go through a lot of organizational change. So that's something I'm really sensitive to. My team up until last October was three employees outside of myself. Um, and today, six months later, it is seven employees outside of myself. So yes, we are a really small but mighty team. Um, I'm really careful when I hire because I want to make sure that I'm getting not only the right people on the bus, but that I'm careful about the way that I'm growing um, the company and I'm giving everybody a chance to be set up for success and also um, make a contribution that is really meaningful for themselves and um, and, and for us as a company. Um, so a lot of what I'm spending my time on right now is really uh, just, it's that. It's making sure that the culture that we are creating um, is is the right one, that everybody knows what their job descriptions are, that the process is right. So eventually we will hire more people, I'm sure. But at this time, I think we're, we're just trying to make sure that um, the team that we do have on board, small and mighty as it is, is... Um, is, is working. So, you know, you're not rushing necessarily for investment for that reason either, because, you know, you are being very careful with who you're partnering it with. It sounds like hundred percent. And I think the other thing that I'm really lucky to have is because I've worked in the beauty industry for a long time. I have a lot of friends that I can kind of tap into. So one of the things I really try to say to my team is like, even if they don't know something, we can hire someone to come in as a specialist and either teach them or, um, and we really, one of our values is, is Kaizen, which is a Japanese term that really is about, um, continuous learning, right? So one of the things I really try to stress is like, if there's something we don't know, we can find out, right? I can hire a, a friend of mine who's been a product developer forever and is amazing. My friend Molly is actually one of our, um, is, is on retainer with us because she's great. So we can bring in people that are not on a employee basis, um, to really teach us and to make the existing team stronger and better. Amy, as you think about charting out what this brand could be, is there a model of what you hope it will look like? I mean, I think the one that I've always thought about is if you take a look at um, like a drunk elephant, I think is such a great example of a brand that stayed in their lane. And instead of going, they had a, a really tight distribution, right? So they're exclusive to Sephora, as, as I am, um, and have really grown the business and stayed within their product philosophy. I think that's a great example of that. Um, but then I also think of other brands that have just done a great job with, with their values and being um, very clear about who they are to the customer, to whether that's from a product philosophy standpoint or from uh, a, a values perspective as a person. So whether it's like Fenty, is obviously very clear about their stance on diversity. Um, 
I think about Glossier as being a brand that's like so clear about community and also their aesthetic. Um, and, you know, I'm really trying to build a brand that is around for a long time. And I want, I want it to be um, one that people really care about. Thank you so much, Amy. It was so great having you. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Priya. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.